When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Today I'm in here with Trapzilla. What up, brother? How you feeling? Feeling really good, man. You're one of the more interesting people that I know. We've always like <laughs> talked about doing a podcast together, and uh, you know I figured you know what what else are we doing? We got we got to yeah. try this out. We got to see what's going on. And as soon as I hit you up about it, I said, "What should we talk about?" And you sent me back a fucking list of some of the craziest shit I ever heard. <laughs> All kinds of wa- like. Shit spanning. It's been a wild road, bro. It's definitely been a wild road. Banning the entirety of human history, it felt like. You know, bro, I've just been around a lot of different people, a lot of different waves. I've lived pretty much all over the country, but at the end of the day, I'm a Mexican from Southern California, and I think that kind of plays into a lot of things I'm going to be doing in the future. Mm. I played a big part in all the South Florida kids when they kind of moved out here. Just kind of make sure they were good when they were here. Okay. Everyone from Pump, Perp, Nick, Puya, shit, Lonar, all of them. I mean, every pound of weed you ever saw these kids take a picture with was pretty much mine at my house. I mean, <laughs> right. you, you kind of experienced the trap a little bit. Right, because I think I only went over there once, but yes. it was it was the first, I think, first time that Lil Nar ever recorded a verse, right? Yep. Bizarre. Nar's a good kid, man. He's definitely a good kid. I've, uh, over the past couple of years, I guess we've all kind of moved our own separate ways, if that makes any sense. Mm. You know, I'm not the kind of person to put pressure on anybody to fuck with me at the end of the day. Okay. You know what I mean? So. I'm proud of that they were able to build everything they were able to build out of there. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I definitely got a lot of love for all those kids. Everyone from Germ, Nick, all of them lived in my fucking house at one point. Right. How did that end up happening? Like, where well, we, where... I was in a penthouse in Miami. I was running a call center out there and doing a bunch of other stuff. And I just saw a Fat Nick video. And I invited him over to the crib. I started off as an EDM DJ, like doing like trap shit, playing festivals and all that kind of shit. So my initial like run with them was to start doing music with them to bring them into that world. I think things got a little bit more involved than I really ever intended to with them, if that made any sense, because they all moved to L.A. like shortly after I moved to L.A. as well. Okay. And I just noticed they didn't have any really homies out here whatsoever. They run around with chains and all this other shit, you know what I mean? Mm. Just wanted to make sure they were good. And this city, I think there's a lot of ability to just run safely and run properly if you move with the right people. Right. So I think a lot of the reasons why you didn't see these kids get robbed for a lot of ten, ten purposes was because they were fucking with me at that point. I don't think anybody really wanted to have that issue with me at that point either, and I made it known that they were safe with me. Right. For sure. Um, okay, but give me some more like early backstory, like where exactly you're from. And, and- I grew up here in Panama City in the San Fernando Valley. Went to the high schools out here. Pretty much every one of them got kicked out at that point. Um, I started working in call centers, started moving a lot of weed around the same time. That moved me to Phoenix, Arizona for a couple years as well. I lived in Dallas, Texas, doing the same thing. Uh, just just making money. You know what I mean? That's been the focus point of my life. You know what I mean? At this point, I'm just, especially having two kids and everything else, I'm way more observant on what my influence in the music world can mean for kids like me that grew up in these areas. Right. I've, I've seen the... It's been weird, bro. I mean, L.A. radio, I think you saw Draco today kind of go off on L.A. DJs not playing his shit. Oh, really? And I think... I think we all have a, a degree of understanding that LA radio has never been representat- representative of LA kids whatsoever. I mean, you very rarely hear a Mexican kid besides OGZ really hit the radio at this point right now, and that's that's new 
And it, they really didn't weren't playing on the radio until he got these features with like Ace Boogie or whatever the case may be. I feel like that's the case everywhere though, because everybody in New York will will forever be complaining about them not playing anything underground, and it's like. Maybe there's some places like in Atlanta, maybe where you hear a bit more of like the shit that's going on that's not yeah. huge yet. But definitely, I mean, the major corporations play a part in that. Everyone from Clear Channel and the like. I mean, these radio DJs really don't have the freedom to play whatever they want. Right, and who but, listens to the radio? You fucking uh, women on their way to work at Weight Watchers and shit. Surprisingly, you know? a lot of fucking people. I right. mean, a majority of music listeners you see on radio are representative of the areas. You know what I mean? So it's the security guards at work. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's a lot of different people. But at the end of the day, when you're getting radio play, it's just free promotion. At the end of the day, it's going to push you in a lot of different areas. Right. And I don't think any radio DJ has really taken the time or effort to really force these kids onto these playlists. Mm. And I see them really move for certain managers and certain types of people in a sense, but... At this point, I just think there really needs to be a wave of kids that look like the kids that are actually listening. Because mm-hmm. they do listen to radio at the end of the day. A lot of these kids aren't even that tech savvy. I mean, mm-hmm. we have this new generation that's solely focused on YouTube. YouTube's kind of become radio as well. Mm-hmm. They kind of made their own waves. I mean, there's kids like Peso, Money Sign, Swifty Blue, and a lot of these other kids that have really positioned themselves on their own. And not even really putting out that much music either. So it's kind of trippy to see these major labels like really like focus on them and sign them so quickly but i just don't think they're really putting the developmental budgets behind them or mm. really putting the mindsets behind them that need to happen i mean at the end of the day these labels can put people on the radio if they want with the proper radio budget it's pay to play in every situation right and i, I think, think that they just don't really see that being like a valuable uh you know tool that it's kind of like if you're going to clearly be showing the momentum that you're going to get to that level mm-hmm. or if they really feel like they can turn you into that kind of artist otherwise i feel like the costs are just so prohibitive that to take a to take OGZ and turn him into this like radio artist that has radio hits on the radio all the time i mean it's gonna be so goddamn expensive and i don't i, I don't feel I like think they, they make really enough money that. to do it yeah and at the end of the day i think a lot of people have a misconception of how much money is actually involved on this shit. You know what I mean? You see it with these major labels when you go into these offices in New York. Like when I took Smoke Perp to New York to meet with all the labels, it was pretty interesting just to see like the desire they had, the kind of offices they had. And it's like, dude, there's big fucking money moving here. Mm. It's all bullshit. They say it's not. The reality is in the advertising and everything else, streaming or sinking and the whole nine yards, there's a lot of money moving around and I don't think it's represent- representative of the people that are actually listening. One out of four kids that are coming to the United States are Latinos under the age of 18. I think we're going to see a huge demographic shift happen as well. And the labels of the managers and the people that have influence in that are paying attention. I mean, you see everyone from TK signing every Mexican kid he can at this point, like from Bravo to the like, you know what I mean? So I just think that there needs to be a more solid understanding of the history of Los Angeles and kind of like what these radio markets mean. At this point, it, it, with Mexican influence in the radio and media, I mean, right now, what do we have? Like, Food's Gone Wild, pretty mm-hmm. much representing everything. Um, Mr. E, or Save Yourself, if you want to call him, you know what I mean? He's a, I could tell there's a, there's a respect, but there's a lack of overall respect when it comes to the imagery of the SoCal Latino, or Mexican, or whatever the case may be. I think it's been so focused on making fun of and mm-hmm. making jests of every single thing that I don't think they would do with other cultures. I mean, if there was like a, let's say... A, Black's gone wild or white's gone wild. <laughs> I don't know if it would end so pretty as well in those situations. Mm. And I don't think people would really... We have, a, as a culture, we are very, very... But, I mean, we do. We have World Star and then we have Barstool. Barstool, yes. <laughs> so gotta... <laughs> yeah, that kind of plays into it, but there's a... There's Fool's a... Gone Wild could be a fucking $20 million a year business if they went full Mexican Barstool, don't you think? You know, definitely, if they were to get the right advertisers behind them. But, you know, there's... Investors. I think there's a understanding of that 
the kind of stuff that they push on there is just completely making fun of the so-called Latino. See, I feel like it's kind of transformed into more of like an overall general interest uh, Latino culture type thing. I don't know. I think the so-called the so-called Mexican is a much different beast than what's assumed. I, I think you know what I mean. I think that, like, that dude's from San Diego. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, save yourself the little okay. mystery dude. Yeah, the one who started that. If you look at some of the videos that have gone viral, I mean, none of these people like agreed to kind of go viral with these situations. Mm -hmm. You got every, actually, you got that one dude, uh, you know, I don't live to live dude video guy. Like, and he's constantly getting harassed on the streets. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because these videos, and he never got paid a dime for him. And these, like, they built up on top of these dudes that they really went with. Some of the guys that they've posted over the years, you know what I mean, have gotten them got taken down pretty quick because they were the wrong people to post like that. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, the overall message is that. Maybe we shouldn't be the butt of the joke so often, mm. if that makes sense. You know what I mean? And I just think there's a lack of respect when it comes to the entirety of the Mexican culture in Southern California when the focus is so based on that completely. I see little Mr. Egan, a record deal before most of the other kids out here. You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure he has offers on the table. But he put the clown nose and the mask on for a reason. I, I think he's going to keep it that way for a long time who as well. Who is this? I don't, I don't know. The dude, the dude who runs Fool's Gone Wild. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. He kind of keeps his name out of the mix as well. I think there's a reasoning behind that as oh, well. Okay. Much respect to dude. I mean, anyone who can build a platform like that, you know what I mean? I never really thought about who ran Foods Gone Wild until I saw we do. Boy Boy West Coast uh, threatening to kill him. Oh, yeah. That, that was interesting. <laughs> I mean, good old Boy Boy West Coast, huh? Yeah, I, I bet you got some feelings about him. <laughs> no, not necessarily. But at the, at the end of the day, you know, he, he is a homie. He is a, he's, a, he's definitely a Southern California Mexican at the end of the day, and I have my respect. But I, it's just funny to me when the labels throw so much money at that kind of situation based on that little little blip of virality that he had. Mm. It's been interesting to watch, to say the least. You know what I mean? That is another good example, though, of like people. Like it, it seems like when this shit goes viral, it's more the extreme version of it that they can laugh at, not the version of it that they can relate to and and yeah. actually genuinely fuck with I, the music. I, th I think one of the one of the interesting things that's been happening as well is that if you're a black and you're a rapper and you're affiliated with the hood. That's totally fine in every major label, major label's boardroom in the whole nine yards. But if you're actually a gang-banging Mexican or Southern California Latino at the end of the day, Osreño, to represent that culture has kind of got you blackballed in the industry for a large extent. Unless, mm. let's say, you're someone like the traditional, like, let's say, Latin hip-hop dudes over the years. You're one from Little Rob to Mr. Capone and everyone like. But they kind of built their own little platforms. You know what I mean? I'm not sure if they're representative of this generation of kids at all. It's definitely a generation uh, yeah, gap there. The, yeah, yeah, completely. And I see like a lot of focus on the media and podcasts that focus on those dudes. I mean, we got kids like Pesos, like only like 16, 17 years old. Mm. And the Money Sign Suede, what is he, like 18, 19, if I'm not mistaken, as well. These kids are really young. And the youth of Los Angeles is really behind these kids completely. You mm. see their shows selling out with like a day announcement. I mean, the Shoreline wave was was crazy. Yeah. And I feel like they, they broke up before they could really fully capitalize on You know what? I think everyone momentum. who kind of looked at the Shoreline stuff kind of looked at it in the sense that OGZ was kind of like the focal point mm. of what they were doing. Phoenix was kind of the focal point of what they were doing as well. But I don't know if the way that was pushed was entirely right it, in the it sense. It was weird from very you early You got them on. signed to Atlantic, didn't you? No. You didn't, who was in the middle of that deal? I think TK. TK was... No. But, I mean, it was weird how they stopped 
touring together like very early on. I've heard a little bit now about like why they might have tension and everything. Well, but if you go on tour with anybody, you're not gonna fucking like them shortly thereafter, bro. Just having to sleep with people yeah. in the same rooms and shit. I mean, imagine signing a big ass recording contract with Atlantic with just like the people that you happen to be friends with <laughs> at that time in your at life. At that age, Jesus <laughs> and then, Christ. And, and like, you know, when I think about it, like the people I was hanging out with at 19, and then if you looked at me at like 21, 22, it's like I mean, your friends change a no, lot that time, time in your life, even big though, time. but you feel like it's like. Permanent, like this, these are my boys. This well, is yeah, it. and there's and a, a lot of times it's like that, but not always. I mean, they've been a. It's been nice to see them on the radio. I'm not mm. saying I'm so close to them or anything like that because I'm not at the end of the day. But it's been nice to see Mexican faces on the radio. I mean, even people like Six Nine and and all those kind of people at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like I'm not. I wouldn't back up any of the bullshit they've done, obviously. But at the end of the day, you know I mean, just to see a Mexican face out there mm. is interesting to me because it creates opportunities for other Mexican faces at the end of the day. Because Shoreline were like big to me because that was just indicative of, you know, popping ass rappers who, who just remind you of normal Mexican kids in mm-hmm. L.A. kicking it with Armenian dudes, white mm-hmm. dudes, black dudes, etc. And like, you know, it's a very multicultural group. But it, it actually represented what I think of when I think of the average yeah. kid and who I, listens to rap in L.A. And I think those those kids, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, this next generation of kids kind of gone through the system in the sense of like youth authority or the prison system out here. And they have a different understanding of the way things go. I'm not sure you've ever been to county, Adam? No. you never been to jail out here at all? No. It's just a different world once you've gone in out here. I mean, I mean, shit, you get separated by race very, very quickly. You know what I mean? So experiencing that kind of like opens your eyes to things. I went to jail when I was 18 years old, and I found out real quick what time it was. Really? Yeah. Is you it, weren't like straight affiliated before that? Oh, or? no. I mean, bro, I, I grew up around drug dealers. My brothers were fucking in youth authority, fucking prison, the whole nine yards. I, got, I was like the baby of the family. So in a sense, I kind of got isolated from my family network. Kind of created my own with the weed shit. I opened dispensaries in 2007 when I was only like, what, 21 years old or something like that? Okay. So, no, yeah, just having experience in that world kind of opened my eyes to the realities of shit out here. Mm. I mean, it, there, is a, there is a structure, and there's a very respectful structure. And I think that kind of exists in every other race and it is accepted by the major labels, everyone from, like, say, like, WAC 100 or Big U or the case may be. And I don't think there's really a Mexican person that's in a position that can really speak for the Mexican kids as we've already seen with the other races, kind of the, not to bring everything into a racial paragraph and, and like, but there's just no one that really speaks for these kids or opens doors properly for these kids. That's why when I got on here, I had to make sure to bring a couple of kids over here with us as well. Right. Some of the older homies as well that kind of have representation out here and want to see things change. And they have the budgets to really put behind them to make things change. Because then they money talks, especially in this industry. For sure. Yeah, no, definitely we're going to have uh, some of them come over in a moment. But mm-hmm. uh Okay, so talk to me about getting into the weed shit as a, a young oh, man. Like, you, you, you Dude, were doing I, that before you had a job? My first job was for my father in the nursery, actually. You know, the first pack of weed I saw was, what, probably at the age of, like, 15. I'm in high school. We were selling grams and all that kind of bullshit. It's just part of the culture. I mean, this is right when medical marijuana became legalized in California as well. My first recommendation was one that we were making ourselves with a fake doctor, put our phone numbers on it, and there was like only two dispensaries in LA at the time, the Yellow House and LAPCG. I was kind of like the first young Mexican kid to actually own one of these places because I figured out the game that was being played. And I got raided a bunch of fucking times, and I dealt with law enforcement, and tied up by people robbing me in the whole nine yards, and stuffed in safes and shit like that. Definitely a lot of PTSD from those times. You know what I mean? Stuffed in a safe. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's my dispensary at Golden State Collective in Granada Hills. I open, I see two young kids in front. And it was before my security guard got there. I open the door to them. Next thing I turn around, I got two Uzis in my face. 
they robbed a bunch of shit. But I mean, it, it was part of the game at that point. I mean, the original dispensary operators in California understood that you were going to get raided. I mean, we'll be sitting in our back offices looking at security cameras, just waiting for them to raid. Right. And there was like a network of people that would contact each other. So if they would hit one location, you knew more raids were coming. So everyone would kind of shut down. And it's still happening to this day. You still have like illegal operations that exist. Everyone from these marijuana sessions and the whole nine yards that kind of exists outside of the law. I just played one this last weekend with uh, Swifty, Peso, and Money Science Wade, and even Self Provoked was there as well. But, dude, the cops came, and they were outside, and the security guards got real scared and had me shut down the place. Right. But it's kind of funny to see everybody scatter with pounds of weed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Definitely, it's, a, it's an interesting little world. But I got, I got kind of taught that world from a lot of people from the Bay that moved out to West Hollywood during the time. But dur- during that time, w- was the main stress that, like, you know the cops are going to raid you, but then you also know that it's very likely you're going to get robbed, so you basically need to have hella guns on, on hand at all well, times? Well, you see... <sighs> There was a fine line of what you could play with at the time. I mean, you could have a concealed carried weapon security guard there, but he would have to stand a certain amount of feet away from the front. So everyone kind of operated on their own, like, little psychopath, little fucking thought process. And you really felt like you could trust the security guard to to do what he had to do? Well, he made sure you actually knew where he was from or where his background was. You know what I mean? Like, these are people that you actually knew. If I didn't know your family, I wasn't going to put you in a position to protect me on that kind of shit. I just feel like there's probably a lot of security guards that turn bitch made. Oh, those are the ones that uh, definitely, (laughs) definitely. Like, they pull Uzis out. Like, a lot of security guards are probably just like, all right, like, whatever you need to do. I think the the security guards... Pretty much in every situation, they're getting paid, what, minimum wage? Yeah, exactly. So, so you got to deal with their, their pay scale to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Like, It's a deterrent. But then when it actually happens, like how likely is it that they're going to fucking start shooting at somebody when nah, they got a pointed to. at them, right? No, every, like, everyone's getting on the fucking ground and getting tied up. It is <laughs> yeah, what right. it is. You know what I mean? We would, ha- we would literally like keep a certain amount of weed inside the dispensary and then keep another amount in the car. But you had to play your own little games and everyone had their own loqueta, if that makes any sense, their own psychosis with that shit. Mm. But I mean, that was definitely a very definitive part of my life. I made a lot of connections in that during that time in the music and arts and stuff like that. When I was like 14, I used to work in like all ages nightclubs in Hollywood and shit like that. Mm. Uh, circus, disco, and arena Friday nights. I'm not sure you're familiar with that kind of stuff. That's really old LA shit. Mm. The hard house days. That was the first time like real Latinos really got on the radio in LA. People don't realize Power 106 used to play nothing but hard house. Okay. That was when they started. Well, they started with nothing but hard house. What is hard house? Is that uh, a form just, of techno? Just, yeah, it's form of techno. I mean, but it was all Latinos that were kind of behind it. Everyone uh. from Richard Humpty Vision to DJ Irene, a Bad Boy Bill. It was a really like closed network in that sense. But I mean, I even worked for Larry Clark for some time at that point as well. It was right. interesting. He, during the West Up Rockers times and shit like that, I helped him with all that kind of stuff. So uh. I've definitely been around a lot of weird shit over the years. You know what I mean? I think that's why people have a lot of different questions about me on that kind of stuff and who the fuck I exactly am. Right. Or whatever is that in the, in the day. But just been around a lot of stupid shit over the years. You know what I mean? And I've tried to make a smart, smart situation out of a stupid one has kind of been my calling card for a lot of different situations definitely um so, so you were in the weed game at that time though like mm-hmm. how, how deep into it did you get you get more i mean bro like I, I, this is this is kind of like during those days most marijuana was being grown in northern california mm-hmm. by like older white dudes like hippie dudes and communes and shit like that right my dispensary was right off the first exit off the five when you got in the san fernando valley and we were kind of the first huge market to like open up uh. so a lot of the farmers and a lot of the old timers out there used to bring me weed directly and that's kind of how things started then you had the L.A. growers that were growing mostly like OG Kush and things like that. That's when the shit was like $6,000 a pound. That mm-hmm. was the initial stages of that kind of stuff. Yeah, but those kind of people kind of still exist. They're just in the shadows a little bit, if that makes any sense. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? The originators of medical marijuana in Los Angeles don't have any representation with the new 
really? breed of it. I mean, yeah, everybody from Burner with cookies, you know what I mean? The connected dudes. There's all kinds of companies that exist right now, but they don't really represent like Los Angeles, if that makes any sense. Right. They're not from here. Well, it kind of the, the spoils of that war kind of went to the people that were the most Bro. organized business-wise, not I the people, people who had been doing it, right? I know people that burned down their houses with, with live grows in it, you know what I mean? Just scared. I mean, it was a different time. You know, it was a way different time. Burn their houses down oh, yeah, because bro, I, the cops were coming? Just like, let's say let's say you fronted a bunch of money from different people to, like, set up a grow, right? Let's say the grow's going bad. A lot of people commit suicide in those situations because they couldn't back up what they did. You know what I mean? They opened their mouths and they could grow. Rather than what? Oh, like 20 yeah, grand Yeah, the wrong people. You know, yeah. 30, 40,000, maybe 100,000 if you're right. setting up huge warehouses. Killing yourself over 20 grand. Jesus Christ. Rob bro, a bank. You, you would think. You Roll the I mean? dice, dude. You would think, but you know, some people just can't handle the pressure. Yeah. You know what I mean, I guess I, I guess because growing up around it so much, you know what I mean, I never really feared that kind of shit whatsoever. Cause I know how to talk to people at the end of the day. Mm. And I think what people don't understand about most of the people in Los Angeles that actually have some power, they're actually very respectful people that kind of will work with you if you're willing to work with them. You know what well, I mean? Yeah. It's just when you turn to them when shit, shit hits the fan, but you don't turn to them beforehand. Is kind of when the issues create themselves. You know what I mean? Right. And that's kind of my experience with that stuff in the Wii game. You know what I mean? But I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, shipping packs and all that kind of bullshit, bro. You got people like Cali Plug and everybody else kind of made that shit really popular and kind of and they use it almost as like almost like a comedic intervention on that sense. You know what I mean? Because I saw them like they they have like sweaters with like different buildings in downtown LA. We kind of have like a wild wild west in downtown LA right now when it comes to marijuana. You know what I mean? You have dis- dispensary or dis- dispos all over the place. That and everyone kind of knows if you fly to California and you want to get some fucking weed, it can happen. Right. And I think you got the youth of pretty much the entire United States has that kind of figured out. So it's like a thing to fly out here, rent a car, get an Airbnb, shoot a rap video. You know what I mean? It's start fucking with certain rappers. You know Walk what I mean? around on Melrose, uh-huh. get your awful lot of cops. I mean, how many, pe- how many people have gotten robbed outside of round two in the last couple of months, bro? Like, shit's, I hear about it, yeah. Shit's getting hot. It's yeah. really getting hot. And it's because these kids are coming out here with the assumption. This is the thing. I spent time in New York. I spent time in Miami. spent time in Phoenix. spent time in, in Texas as well. I would never go to one of these cities and try to set up a trap or mm. start, start doing illegal activity without having the backing of some type of organization there. Yeah. And I think everybody comes out here thinking shit's sweet, and they find out real quick that it's not at mm. the end of the day. This is a major city and, and has a lot of people that are making money with what's going on here. But if you fly out to California and you're looking to pick up pounds and ship them back, I mean, it, it's gone. people almost feel like it's legal. Yeah. You know I mean, they, they've lost sense that they're actually doing black market activity. You know what I mean? If you're going to be doing black market activity, you have to operate a certain way. Right. Otherwise, you get robbed and you get fucking beat up. If, if a pound gets shipped to the East Coast, what percentage would you guess it is that it gets through? Like 90%? Oh, I would say at least 90% of those packages are getting through, bro. And a lot of people don't realize this is most of the postal inspectors and everything else, they're not looking for fucking weed, dude. Right. And if you're, if you're sitting there and dealing with packages that got hit by a dog constantly... You're not gonna want to deal with the weed dudes. Even like people do it in the airports as well. You know what I mean? Like, but if if a dog hits weed and they open it, and it's just fucking weed. They don't really they don't stop it, bro. Okay. They really don't. That's I, good to know. <laughs> when did you uh, get out of the weed business per se, or did you get over you know the what? dispensary thing? You know, when they when I got raided pretty hard at Golden State Collective, let's say around 2008, 2009, it kind of was at a crossroads in my life, to say the least. You know what I mean? Uh, I had millions of dollars and had nothing like shortly thereafter. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So just dealing with that kind of opened my eyes and maybe I should do something different. You know what I mean? And I have a lot of background in mass media and marketing and, and shit like that. So I started working at call centers. 
started doing voice broadcasting calls, which is pretty much when you, you ever pick up the phone and say, hey, you want a free satellite system, press one. I was one of the innovators of that kind of technology that existed. Uh, got sued by DirecTV. Well, the people that ran the call center got sued by DirecTV. Why? Because they were just scamming people, pretending well, to be Well, we weren't them? scamming people. <laughs> I mean, they got, they got their free satellite system, oh, okay. you know what I mean? But we're abusing the phone system like crazy. Right. Thank you, Still, Still smoking. Still smoking. <laughs> no, I'm cool. Thank you. Yeah, I always stay smoking, bro. It's the only thing that keeps me calm. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, I've stopped everything else. I mean, shit. I think we all had our time with the fucking opiates and the like. You know what I mean? It kind of gets old after a while. I lost, that that lost I met you? You were you were definitely putting some some junk up your nose for Jesus sure. Jesus Christ, bro! I was doing so much fucking coke at that time. It was fucking nuts. Yeah, I'm not. I'll, I'll be the first one to say it, bro. Like I'm not ashamed of my past whatsoever. I've definitely had a lot of struggles with that, and there's been moments in my life that really opened my eyes to shit. I mean, like when fucking when Gus died, when Peep died. I mean that that shit really fucking opened. I mean, shit, my last conversation with Gus is I'm gonna beat the fuck out of him when he got to L.A. because he had posted that video with all the Zans in his fucking mouth. Mm. You know what I mean? It, I don't know. I, I found out my girl was pregnant literally like 10 minutes before I got the phone call that Gus died. And that kind of like opened my eyes a lot to the situation. I'm like, what am I going to fucking do in my life? Do I want to have like these kids and me be fucking addicted to drugs? And like, what am I really representing? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I started noticing a lot of these young kids in L.A. like looking up to me. I mean, when they started going viral with pump and everything like. And the reality is, you know, I got a 16-year-old kid in my house doing a bunch of fucking drugs. And I think we all kind of turned a blind eye to his age. Yeah. And a lot of these kids' age, you know what I mean? But the reality is, yeah, we had a bunch of fucking drugs, money, and guns around a bunch of young-ass kids. You know what I mean? Like, and it helped them go viral. And a lot of different senses but was it the right thing to do as a father of two now if my fucking son was out there doing drugs with some random dude in fucking la no i probably wouldn't be okay with that shit you know what i mean right but you know we all live in and we learn i mean i was uh yeah i was around so much of that shit or even like going on tour with pump it's like i remember that shit i mean dude they were fucking they had they had a hundred xanax somebody had a fucking firearm that wasn't licensed they had fucking you know just Every night they're bringing random ass girls back to their hotel rooms and shit. And right. when I when I look at it now, I'm just like, <laughs> bro, fuck, like, bro, we got off easy <laughs> on not like running into any really terrible situations there. But I look at some of the pictures sometimes, bro, and you got like fucking pump, like fucking a firearm that's not even legal in California, yeah. and then a bunch of pounds of weed, and you got perp with lean bottles on his fucking head. And remember you... pump shooting the gun out the window of yeah. the car? I remember that day. <laughs> I remember getting those phone calls. Those were interesting. They, yeah. Those kids ran amok, bro. I mean, they just didn't give a fuck. They were young, and they just wanted to have fun, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they didn't really have any, like, OGs or any structure behind them either. You know what I mean? South Florida is a really different place, bro. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those kids are from Hialeah or Broward County and everything like this. It's just a different group of fucking people, bro. And then they come to L.A., and all of a sudden they have access to all this shit. So it was, it was, it was a culture shock for them, I think, as well. And everyone kind of wanted them to be around drugs, money, and guns. And, like, they kind of, like, you could see the virality of their posts. I, like, one of the more smarter kids, bro, is Nick. Because Nick would actually look at his pictures and be like, look, if I post a gun, I get this many likes. Yeah. If I don't post a gun, I get this many likes. Yeah. If I post drugs, look how many likes I get. So, like, these kids were marketers at yeah. the end of the fucking day. And they are really smart about it. They didn't even realize how smart they were when it came to the social media metrics and shit like that. Yeah, because it's inherent to them. They just yeah. grow up with that shit pumping through their veins and knowing inherently, like, what'll be a good troll, what'll make people freak out. Because, you know, for us, it's like we kind of had to learn that at some point mm -hmm. during our life, you know, how to... How to use the internet? Well, like they just—they were born with it in their hand, you know. These kids learn how to read the. They—they they know how to fucking run the internet before they know how to read a fucking book. Mm. You another water in your bench? Right there. Thank you. This is future strip shit. 
Those are some edibles if you want to get really loaded at some point in your life. THC is a psychoactive fucking thing at some point, bro. You don't fuck with edibles? Ah, bro, me and, me and edibles have a bad fucking... <laughs> Bad experiences, bro. It's fucking worse than dope at the end of the fucking day. You think? Bro, give somebody that's never done any of that shit oh, like a yeah. fucking whole bag. They're oh, dead. But that's not where I'm at. I'm not the I don't have the tolerance of a person who who has never done it. Now I have a tolerance where I can eat 400, 500 milligrams of weed a day. And it's like it feels good, <laughs> but it's not like I'm you know, it's not like I'm losing my mind, but it's like then then like I'll take a week off from it and it's like, oh my god, I'm moving so much better. I'm not fucking just like slumped half the fucking day, you know? You gotta get in your program. You know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta run that program. But then that's the thing too. I wake up at eight o'clock every day to work out and or like seven or eight or whatever and I'm fucking your life changes when you have a kid, right? Fighting through the weed. <laughs> every workout I'm just beating the fucking edibles out of myself. And it's kinda like Jesus Christ. You said at the higher levels of like fitness shit, you start seeing that they do way more drugs than other people as well. I mean mm. shit like G. HB is really popular with bodybuilders and mm. shit like that in that world. You know what I mean? It's, it's definitely a different fucking world. Once you ever you... do steroids? Yes. <laughs> Me too. Uh, yeah, I was day. on testosterone for a long time. For a know? long time? Yeah, bro. A long time. Just I, straight? I miss it, to be honest with for you. For how long? Probably like three years straight. Like, three years yeah, straight? Bro. Wow. I actually got from a doctor. I went to go get my blood tested, and a lot of people don't realize that opiates and marijuana kill your testosterone. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot of people have their conspiracy theories about like fucking the killing of the fucking the man of the fucking world, and they, they have those kind of thoughts. You think weed does too? It does. Um, yeah. It scientifically does. It kills your testosterone. It's what it does. You know what I mean? Like, be honest with you, like, I'm going to say that I feel really bad about it. Okay. For years and years and years, I busted in bitches, never got anybody pregnant. Okay. Uh -huh. It wasn't until I got off drugs that I got my girlfriend pregnant. Wow. Thank God. You know what I mean? I have my two beautiful children. But for fucking good 10, 15 years of my life, I just didn't give a fuck at all. You right. know what I mean? And it just never happened. But I was also doped up at the time. So in reality, yeah, my swimmers were fucking drunk. You know what I mean? They couldn't penetrate no fucking egg. You know what I mean? That's the reality of it. A lot of people don't realize that. But yeah, opiates and all that kind of shit, they fuck your body up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So have fun. Do what you're going to do. But how many more kids got to fucking die until we wake up to that reality? You know what I mean? Do you, do you feel like Zans and Perks and shit are still like secretly just as popular as they were in yes. 2017? But I think pe people, people don't brag about it as much? Fuck up about yeah. it. <laughs> One of the more troubling aspects of this shit that I've seen personally, especially with the fentanyl's fucking oh, yeah. total fucking destruction of shit is that a lot of these kids think they're taking real shit and they're not yeah you know what i mean like i've lost a lot of these kids you got a letter even fucking like there was one kid austin the pac-man that lived in my house you know what i mean he was one of the i look at it now it's like i, I kind of trip out because i see like i'm like fuck you're the you kind of opened my eyes to these young mexican kids that were fucking popping off here and i read i took him serious but i you know what i mean like he loved popping Zans, you know what I mean? And unfortunately, is the reality is if someone offers you Xanax for purchase and they have more than a script worth, they're fucking fake. Mm. You don't got fucking a thousand Percocets. You don't got a thousand Xanax. Get the fuck out of here. It doesn't work that way. Right. But like, that, that wasn't a thought in our heads in 2017, right? It was much easier to get at that point at the bulk level. But I'm, I feel like you weren't, yeah, you weren't getting like, I, I, I was never hearing about people getting hit with fentanyl pills until like peeping shit. Like, wasn't that yeah, no, that, that was kind of the eye-opening moment. I think people don't realize, especially because it happened in Tucson, it was right over the border. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people think it really based on that in a sense, but it's all coming from China. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, if you've ever seen that one dude got popped in Mexico City, the Chinese dude had fucking gold everything in his house in the whole nine yards. They found, like, over $100 million cash in his fucking place as well. But you have Chinese infiltration of fake drugs into Mexico, into the United States, that's... 
Killed that's the where it's whole coming from. I'm just kind of yeah. assuming that people are making their own press pills. Well, there's a lot of white boys in Florida that fucking have the little presses and shit. You know what I mean? I've definitely seen that in the past. You know what I mean? Thank God I was able to avoid all that shit. But, bro, I mean, a lot of these kids don't get it. And a lot of times these kids die not because of the fucking drugs, but because everybody <coughs> freaks the fuck out when they pass out and they don't fucking call an ambulance. Oh, really? I mean, I, I think the whole peep situation, you know what I mean? I mean, I put a reward out trying to find out. I was just all fucked up and I was hurt because I lost my little fucking homie. I just wanted to figure out what, exactly what the fuck happened. You know, I mean, af after really speaking with his mother and, like, doing the documentary and all that bullshit, I kind of came to terms with the reality of what had happened was, yeah, it was a fentanyl death, bro, but if they would have fucking called the ambulance immediately, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about that <laughs> shit in the past tense. Well, I think a lot there. of these kids, same situation. Yeah. I mean, but here in, here in California, thank God, there is a law that if you do call an ambulance... They're not, they're not going to fuck with you in terms of the police shit at all. Mm. It, they'll come and they'll save your fucking friend and you don't have to fucking bury your homies because you fucking panicked. You know what I mean? I think there's way too many white kids, too, way too many Mexican kids, way too many black kids that are just dying for no fucking reason. Right. I think... And it, no one, about it so much yeah, now. Nobody ever wants to talk about it, but the reality is, bro, it's like if you Narcan someone immediately, they're going to survive. You know what I mean? If you call the ambulance immediately, they're going to fucking survive. I mean, when the paramedics actually got to peep in that bus, they took a temperature of his body. I think it was like 87.1, if I'm not mistaken. His mom posted a it's kind of cryptic message on his, on his feed one time on Instagram with the actual degree. And what she was trying to say with that picture and the degree, I've read some weird shit on Reddit. People are like, oh, you look at it like this. They're trying to, trying to like analyze it. But the reality is when you die, you're, when you're alive, your body's usually around 98 degrees. Every hour after you're dead, it goes down like a degree or two, regardless of what the temperature in the room is. So when we see Gus's temperature was at 87.1, how many fucking hours did that kid sit fucking dead? Right. And I think we saw everything from the Bexy video of him dancing in front of him, not even realizing what was going on. But were, were the was by the time the ambulance got there, was he already gone? Yeah. He was, his body was at 87 degrees. Right. So what? He's been sitting there for six, seven fucking hours dead? I mean, that documentary, bro, like... It really fucked with me in the head a little bit because a lot of things were kind of left unsaid for legal legal purposes. Oh, really? You know what I mean? So, like, I have to kind of walk a tight line with that kind of shit, too, because it's still litigation that's happening right now. But the reality is, is, like, a lot of people weren't talked about that were management and like, mm. you know what I mean, that played a part in this whole situation. The reality is, is that Gus fucking loved drugs. He liked doing drugs, and he'll pretty much do any drug that was put in front of him at the time. Which right. a lot of these kids, they get into this mode where, like, it's like some cool shit to just be down to get all fucked up. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, you see it so much. And it's like, I feel like the peep thing really broke the situation open of like how much do the grownups in the room have blood on their hands yeah. when this kind of thing happens? Do you, like, how do you feel about how that lawsuit is going to play out? And do you think, I mean, wh who, I think who do you think that a, I think at a certain point it becomes a financial battle because the reality is like, Alive, it would have been worth how much, bro? Right. I mean, like, it, like, blows my fucking mind the traction he was getting, like, in reality. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. he would have been the biggest artist, I think, in the world at this point. I'm, I'm not even trying to blow his, like, blow him up like that, but the reality is he was very representative of a lot of different cultures. Mm. His grandfather was a rogue scholar that wrote a lot of books about Manana Zapata and shit like that. So, like... He definitely had a different understanding of the, uh, a worldview than most of these other artists. You know what I mean? And you saw the traction that was happening. I mean, shit, he was walking major fashion shows in the whole nine yard. Mm. He was really getting that full fucking, like, exposure that I rarely, rarely see a kid get. Right. You know what I mean? I don't think there's a lot of kids that could even pull that shit off.
No, definitely. I mean, he had he, a certain order to him, bro. It was like his music didn't get as big as like we, everybody kind of felt like it mm -hmm. could. But then meanwhile... Well, I introduced him to McConan, you know what I mean? And when I introduced him to McConan, my intent and purposes with that meeting was to so start writing these big-ass records. Right. And I think you saw, like, a big change. And a lot of the fans just kind of disagreed with the direction it was kind of going at that point as well. Right. And I mean, it, uh, McConan, i be honest with you, I don't think he's still, like, right from that whole situation, bro. Like, mm. he lives in Portland now and, like, kind of avoids everything. Doesn't want to really be involved much anymore because... There's still a whole album material that hasn't been released yet. You know what I mean? There's still a lot of material. I have songs of his that are unreleased. It's been this weird, like, back and forth with everyone because they just don't know who to speak to because at the end of the day, his mother doesn't control the label. You know what I mean? His father still owns a percentage of his shit as well. And I think that kind of, like, mix-up right there is going to prevent things from really coming out. And there's a big... Everyone doesn't want to look like they're taking advantage of that kid as well, bro. And I think we saw a lot of different people like kind of use his death as a marketing tool almost for themselves, try to blow themselves up. Not to get so specific on certain people, bro, but like when you fucking ride the coattails of someone who just died hard, hard, hard. I think everyone was trying to fight to see who was their best, who was his best friend, who not. You, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Everyone from the GBC kids, Nick, and everybody else kind of like fighting with each other over shit. You know yeah. what I mean? That was definitely a moment where I was just like, oh, it's like wow, bro, this is getting I'm, cringy I'm as way fuck. too old to be. Exactly. Like, this is just not how you handle a death like there should not be this much argument between his friends after somebody passes there was just a I mean, lot of weird it, shit it, the reality is he left la to get the fuck away from everybody right and that's what he did and i think and you saw what was happening with with all of the, the rest of the gbc kids during that time sending out tweets making threats to him in the whole fucking nine yards because <laughs> they wanted to be involved you know what i mean yeah. all respect to those kids you know what i mean at the end of the day but I think they just didn't really know how to handle it. And so many people started asking questions, you know, and they kind of realized that answering those questions in a public forum would get them some type of, like, pull mm. or push. It makes sense. I mean, we saw a lot of kids get signed to major label deals based on the fact that they could, they could potentially take that wave mm. and run with it. But you know what's weird is with Peep and with, like, X and with Juice World, I feel like in all those cases... I've seen a ton of people <clears throat> basically trying to like clone mm -hmm. their style after they pass, and I feel like it never works. No, I think and a I, lot of people were even saying that about Juice. You yeah. know what I mean? At a certain point, because you know he comes in after the fact. Yeah, you know, with both of them dead. I real. think that a lot of people thought that Juice was kind of trying. We to did that legend take song, that little deep lane or whatever. But then I felt like Juice was so good. They were just all a bunch of young kids that. making good music, bro. And I yeah. think that no shit they're gonna get like influenced by who's popping and who's up right now. You but know? you've seen so many artists that are like trying to take that X style, and it's it's weird. Weird though how bro no matter how good a job they do of it the fans don't seem they're to really not gonna, give a they, shit. they don't they're never gonna grab on to these kids and i think you have a lot of people that have gotten really good at like giving them a little exposure in that lane you know mm. what i mean some people have done it right some people have done it wrong i mean a lot of people get caught in the middle like look at scheme like he was around both of them like, very very closely yeah. and I'm, I'm very happy to see how much he's risen as well you it's know actually what I mean? pretty crazy yeah it's fucking nuts in reality mm. bro that kid used to sleep on my sofa as well you mm. know what i mean i just have i i spent a lot of time djing for riffraff all over the country was, for what years Shit, what, that's what, 2012 to 2015? So, like, right when he was popping yeah, right, off? Yeah, right when Neon Icon, before that came out. I mean, shit, we're still talking about, like, before Versace, Versace Python's freestyle, before all that shit. He wasn't even, he was just doing YouTube videos at that point and popping off World Star. So, you were with him before yeah. Diplo? Yeah. Okay. Riff's an interesting thing, too, because I think he, uh, people didn't really know how to handle him. 
in a large, large sense, one of my weirder moments in my life was sitting in the BET, BET offices with him, uh-huh. and just every single person coming out going, what the fuck is this dude doing here? You know what I mean? Like, and people just didn't get it. If you grew up in Houston, it's different than growing mm. up anywhere else, bro. Like, there's Chinese fools, there's fucking black dudes, white dudes, everyone like, but if they grew up in the same neighborhood, they all have the same hairstyles, they all have the same look, they have the same vocabulary and stuff mm. like that. I think we're seeing that a lot with the youth right now in L.A. is like the use of, let's say, the N-word in music and shit like that. You know what I mean? That even though I don't necessarily agree with the use of that vocabulary, just out, just out of my life experiences, and I just stay away from that kind when of shit. When did you stop saying it? I'd say like four years ago, I learned that would be a bad idea to keep on going with that lane. Mm. But I spent so much time in Houston, spent so much time in Florida around these fucking kids that it's just part of the fucking vocabulary. They say it like it, it is what it is. But growing up in the high schools and middle schools here in L.A., now all the Mexican kids use that vocabulary as well. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, it's interesting to see, but it's part of the culture that's developing here as well. I mean, their heroes are no longer like Tupac or like Dr. Dre. I mean, a lot of these kids listen to Kodak or they listen to yeah. someone else. I, I mean, a, average Mexican kid in L.A. has probably never had anybody tell him not to say the N-word, right? It's just, it's super normal. Depends. Like, I mean, if they have older if they have older homies that just got out of prison or some shit like that, you know, I mean, if their family's actually affiliated with some shit, I don't think they would be so willing to do it in front of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it, it is different. But these kids are growing up different as well. You know what I mean? I think there's an understanding with the older guard here as well that these kids are going to say what they're used to saying. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's not a point to judge them or to knock them down for it, but it's the vocabulary that exists in these day and ages. You know what I mean? Like if someone older like me has a different level of respect for those kind of words, but the youth is going to say what they're going to fucking say, and they have to stay true to that as well. Mm. I think these kids, that are if they pop off as big as I hope they do, a lot of these young Mexican kids, it's going to be getting on east coast radio or getting on the east coast radar you know mm. what i mean and like can they pull it off i, I mean we've seen a lot of other people fucking do it and face no retaliation for it whatsoever i mean it's, it's just going to be that one person with that star power that is sort of able to push i it mean through. if we look at fucking daniel's situation the six nine situation bro like that kid recorded a lot of music at my house i met him through really? a dude yeah i met him through a dude named pac-man that was out here it was another pac-man not austin but he used to sell a lot of weed out here as well one of the early affiliates with cali plug and all of them he did that uh What's that fucking what was that fucking song they did? He Six Nine just really stole it from him as well. But they did a couple songs together. There was one video where it, in New York where Six Nine's with a bunch of packs of weed in it. And those were all yeah, st- yeah. those were all stolen from someone in Los Angeles. You know what I mean? Stolen. Yo, know, this is this is the reality of what was happening. People don't understand this, but when Six Nine was in LA with all the nine trade dudes, they were literally going studio to studio asking a bunch of questions about a bunch of drugs. And I looked at it really, really funny from the second I met him. The second I met him, he asked me for some coke. I'm thinking you want some coke to blow, whatever. I'll give him a little sack. And he's like, no. He's like, I want a lot of coke. And that, my spidey sense with that kind of shit is very, 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 like, on point. The second someone starts asking for hard drugs in large amounts, you're either a cop or you're trying to rob me. Right. One of the two. Yeah. You know I mean, Shoddy was with them. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of six, all of 6 ix music was being written by Trife Drew and all. I literally watched him in the booth. And try for like sending him text messages while he was recording the entire time. And that's <laughs> really? when I realized how much. And I was actually friends with like Zilla Kami and all those dudes as well, because just because of the fact that I was like Trapzilla's online and someone had mentioned him to me and we had talked and everything like that. While he was at my house, I fucking messaged Zilla Kami. I'm like, does this fool actually owe you as much money as you remember they were saying like you owed him like a fucking hundred thousand, two hundred thousand or some shit like that? Right. I was like, does this fool really owe you that much money? And he's like, He's like, oh, no, bro, you know what I mean? But we're just putting it out there like that. Like, okay. You know what I mean, everyone's going with their marketing schemes at that point. But I was, I could say with a straight face, bro, 
I am fully, fully in belief that like when Six Nine came out to LA, I think he was already facing some charges that weren't even being unsaid. And I had heard that he had been popped with some heroin at one point earlier yeah, than that. I think he was already a kind of a fucking law enforcement asset at that point, and they kind of let it keep on going to see who they could take down. Because I saw a bunch of people get robbed, I saw a bunch of people get popped, and they were either getting robbed by like all nine trade dudes and the like. Or they're getting popped by the feds, you know what I mean? So, like, I kind of saw that, and I separated myself. That's when Diablo was living at my house, actually. Uh-huh. Good old Diablo. 6 9 was trying to buy large quantities of coke. So, yeah. so the conversation didn't really, like, lead anywhere? No, he fucking, I gave him a small sack, and he went to the microwave, and microwave just supposedly to check his purity, and I'm just sitting there like, okay, motherfucker. What whatever. are you going to do with a microwave to check the coke's purity? Good fucking question. I'm still trying to figure that one out myself. <laughs> but he was just trying to fucking look a certain way, bro. And I just, I, I could say with this, I really, really believe that he was already a law enforcement asset at that point. But don't you think that, like, given that he's running around with these nine trays and given that there's a lot of them who are not really doing anything in terms of the music, that the, the scenario where it's likely that he was trying to help line up somebody to get robbed is probably mm-hmm. a lot more likely than yeah. that he was already an informant? Yes, but some people kind of exist as honeypots. A lot yeah. of people don't realize this, but if you get popped uh-huh. and you don't go to fucking jail, getting them getting access to your phone's communication lines is completely easy for a fucking federal enforcement officer at that point, mm. especially when they're holding a major case over your head. You know what I mean? I've seen a lot of people get raided with large amounts of guns and drugs, and then they don't go to jail. You know what I mean? It, what I'm not really here to call anybody a snitch or anything like that, but it's kind of fucking obvious that they either didn't pop you because they want to find out what else you're doing, or you are working with them in some capacity. I mean, being on paperwork is a very miscon- big misconception, I believe, to say if you're a snitch or not. Because let's say you got caught with something, and let's say the DA, I have my own experiences with the DEA. Like, where'd you get this from? Mm. Like, do you want to fucking face this shit? Or do you want They talk to you like regular fucking people, bro. That's what people don't understand. Like, it's not like some big complicated thing. They usually send someone that looks like you to talk to you in those situations. During my dispensary days when I will get raided, literally the DA agents would sit there and be like, so do you want to help us or do you want, to fa- you want us to take all your shit this time? You know what I mean? <laughs> I just shut the fuck up because I already knew what time it was. You know what I mean? I wasn't going to play that game. Right. But if you got raided, and you had a bunch of automatic weapons and the like in your home, and you do not go to jail or have a f- face a case, they're either using you as a honeypot to bust somebody else, or whatever you did is on your conscience at that point, but it's pretty obvious to everybody else what happens. Were you paying attention to the 6 9 Jim Jones accusation thing? Oh, bro, that shit was fucking hilarious to me, all that shit. <laughs> I mean, 6 9 like... It's weird, because any ra- anyone, I think, could say about almost any rapper, like... Look at him. Look at all this shit that he clearly is guilty of, and he's not in jail, so therefore he is a snitch. That's like an easy line of logic because every rap, not every rapper, but a large percentage of rappers are basically just like telling you about their crimes. Bro, these kids, a lot of these kids represent something they're not really made of. And to be honest with you, that's why I like these young Mexican kids that are coming up because if you listen to their raps and what they're saying, it matches up to the reality of their lives. They talk about having blowers, plus catching cases, the whole nine yards, but it's actually real. Mm. And I think the South Florida wave got really good at kind of telling the story of that kind of shit and not actually living it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I listened to a lot of the lyrics. They, dude, some of the shit they would rap about was shit they would see me do. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd be like, what the fuck? I'm like, okay, you know what I mean? Like, but they just, they're very good at telling the storyline, but not actually living that and, life. And that's why the music was kind of fun, because they'd be saying shit about drugs and shit that didn't even make any sense, shit about guns that didn't make any sense. But, you know, if you don't know anything about guns... 
except yeah. like a bunch of random shit you heard in rap songs it kind of gives you like a license to be really creative with the shit that you're saying and but like okay i heard act say that at one point is that soundcloud wave was the wave of cute young kids with crazy hair talking about street shit no, that they weren't kids. actually doing but that the wave now is the actual gangsters. They really got it. Yeah. And I think you get a Pushaisty who shot a security guard in the club while he's the hottest rapper in the world, but that, that is the problem. Like that's that's what happens when you get the real gangsters popping. And then that's the reality of it. I mean, if you're but at the same token, if you're going to rap about that life and not live it, you know what I mean? It just you're going to put yourself in a lot of bad situations, mm. you know what I mean? I think we've seen a lot of these kids get themselves in weird situations with people when they're doing features or random people are like, "Why the fuck did you get this to do the feature when you're so popping?" There there's a they paid a level of respect to people that actually live that life to play it off right. You know what I mean? Like, but they definitely benefited from that culture. I mean, they definitely profited off that culture as well. I mean, to say, I mean, music is going to be something that has an effect on the people that listen to it. And I think if you're really pushing a bunch of bullshit about popping 100 Zans or whatever the case may be, you don't know it, but you got blood on your hands. And it might be misdirected, and I'm not going to judge them for it. But if everything you fucking talk about is about doing drugs and not giving a fuck in the whole nine yards, and then the younger kids kind of hear this shit and end up doing that, you know what I mean? Yeah, that was, you did that. I feel like you're talking to Future. <laughs> well, bro, Future's, a, Future's actually a really nice person at the end of the day, bro. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's an amazing artist, but I mean, that is basically, you know, and it was never more obvious than the Juice World situation where Juice World told him, bro, like, I'm still, you inspired I'm still kind of confused on what exactly happened with Juice on that situation, bro, because when I hear that, when I heard that story, I was just like, it, it just, like, why would you pop that many to yourself? I mean, like, why not pass them amongst us, <coughs> amongst the group or something? But I heard the part about, uh, I heard that that was bullshit. That that was like a, a media invention or a rumor or whatever. And that how did he die? I think he was just like freaking out because there were feds pulling up on him. And I think he was probably already super overtired, super fucking strung they out. Found, they found a bunch of packs on that plane too, didn't they? Some and shit guns like, and like yeah. all kinds of. They were like the some, somebody, world. somebody, I, and I've never looked into it, so I actually don't know who, but somebody was basically like using his career as a way to move packs on these jets which if you know it's, br I, I it's think, a brilliant and, and, and move right? I, think, I think it sends a message to all these young rappers as well as like be very careful who you affiliate yourself with right. be very careful who you put yourself around i mean if they're not if they don't have your best interests in mind at the end of the day they're going to push you in every direction that they, they see fit mm. and I, I hate seeing these kids kind of get pimped Mm. In a sense, you know what I mean? In all respect to these people signing them to labels and management deals and the whole nine yards. I mean, when I first met Lil Uzi shit, he had like, what, like eight deals on the, at that point? He had the Diamond Cuts deal, he had the drama deal. Everybody had a piece of that kid. It mm. wasn't until when Rock Nation kind of stepped in and wiped all that shit clean. Thug and, was kind of like that, too. He signed a bunch yeah, of contracts. Yeah, he had a bunch of different deals with a bunch of different people, bro. And like, how the fuck do you make money in that world? I've seen, I've seen people like selling features and they don't even have rights to their own music. And then they, mm. when you try to clear the fucking verse, it doesn't get cleared. Oh, that happens all the time. It's nonstop. You, know you get mean? a couple thousand in cash in the studio mm -hmm. and then the feature can never get cleared. So you end up leaking I mean, it on shit, SoundCloud. The SoundCloud wave did it for drugs. Mm. For a fucking couple lines of lean. Oh, hell yeah. yeah bro, like, I, was, I saw Versus traded for fucking 10 perks. Like, I would just sit there, like, fucking amazed. I'm like, do you, I'm like, you have any idea how big you guys really fucking are? Mm. And I think a lot of these kids didn't really grasp how big they were, in essence. You know what I mean? Like, everyone from Pump, Purp to Like, they just... They were just running around, running amok, and they really didn't give a fuck about anything besides what happened that day. So, like, if they could fucking get a couple of lean or some drugs and be in a nice car that day, 
They didn't really give a fuck about anything else. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it is kind of weird, though, because you look at the landscape, and it's like, who has, whose career has really survived since the SoundCloud wave? And if you want to include them, you can look at Uzi and Cardi and say, like, obviously, they're gigantic. It's bad, but they, see, they came up from more traditional backgrounds yeah. in the music world. They had older heads that were kind of there. Like, the real, real SoundCloud kids, is like I like to call them, didn't have that kind of backing, like, whatsoever. Right. You know what I mean? So, so, I mean, you have somebody like Yachty who's still pretty relevant. I mean, it does feel like at a certain point the world kind of turned their backs on Pump and Perp. Uh, obviously, a lot of the best from that world yeah. straight passed away too early. Yeah. I mean, um, we never, we're never going to really know its real true effect. But I think that the effect that they have is not going to be a financial one for them proper, but they definitely influence a generation of kids that just put shit out there. The whole DIY concept to music kind of went hardcore once mm. people saw the SoundCloud shit. Because SoundCloud kind of started off with, like, EDM DJs and shit like that, bro. It was, like, mostly DJ mixes and shit. Yeah. That's when I first kind of got involved with that kind of stuff. So, like, once all the hip-hop stuff started popping up on there, it was, it was a much different fucking scenario, to mm. say the least. Yeah, I mean, if you actually look at that era of all these young kids, now that you have, like, you know, streaming and, you know, putting your music online is a, is a real bona fide way to make money. Like, And it's they, like, who they, controls these things at the end of the day? Because... There's been playlists on Spotify that are controlled by such random fucking people sometimes, bro. Like, and they all have their own different agendas. And a lot of them kind of been farmed by the labels to kind of work yeah. with them and a lot oh, of yeah. shit. They, they all do they, but This is more along the lines when I speak about radio shit. I speak about the industry as a whole. You know what I mean? This playlisting is part of the whole radio world. It's a radio budget at the oh. end of the day. And like, if they get these people on these playlists, it's a very, very set fucking plan to pop someone off nowadays yeah. that's you know? one of the main things when you sign to a label is that they're going to get you on a bunch of playlists yeah. maybe not that's all like of their them, pitch at this point i assume yeah. but you can i mean if you are uh, interested in uh, you know hopping on google or making some connections you could definitely find the firm that can get you on as many players and as that's possible, kind of you know? like what i want to do with this generation of mexican kids is kind of learn the tricks that i've learned from being on the sidelines of this industry for so long and kind of taking financing and the budgeting from people in their background that actually have these kids best interests in mind and really push them to a new level you know i mean getting them on these major playlists is something like it's going to be amazing for them for their exposure and i think this is where they're going to benefit from the vocabulary that they use Mm. you know what i mean like saying the saying the n-word on a certain song but if it's popping off on the east coast or something like that on a spotify playlist the youth might grab onto it just based on that you know what i mean because it sounds like how they talk yeah. You know what I mean? So I think there's definitely a marketing avenue right there that they could take advantage of. And I'll be very glad to help them take advantage of it at the end of the day. Definitely. Okay. We rearranged the seats. Introduce, <laughs> introduce these uh, fine fellows here. We got my boy D-Boy right here. He can kind of introduce himself. D-Boy Smooth, uh, representative uh, Westways, which is a music label, which is, uh, you know, it's, new, it's pretty recent in birth. Uh, originates in the west side of Los Angeles. You know, uh, referring to the Westways, that kind of has its self name in it, okay. self explanatory. Uh, most prominent prominent member, honorary member that we ever had was Austin the Pac Man. Rest in peace. Uh, passed away, you know, to a sad incident, whatever, something you guys were touching on. That whole little uh, fentanyl epidemic or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. And then I, we got a couple of young, notable young men now. Young Demon, uh, Stretch. We got Trap on the executive board. So we, 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 uh, yeah, we, 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 we relatively new just to the scene. Okay. I mean, I've seen you before on Melrose. We've, we've conversated before. You, you, we, I was with Pac-Man actually that day we pulled up. You was with Desto. Right. And we, we came, we said, well, see, you, you know, you've always been respectful of me. You've always been, you know, you always 
for sure. That good dude. Recognition. He really is at the end of the day. I always wish when I was on Melrose that it was like had more time to like really tap in with people because it would be like just such a fucking non-stop barrage of I people bet. bro i felt like i fucking yeah, shot at in there didn't did you not shot at luckily but it was a fake gun actually oh, like okay. a mental health episode right basically dude, dude was having a mental health episode. yeah you interviewed that dude later didn't you nah no okay that was the clickbait but oh. i went to court because oh, okay. i'm a civilian and i saw the fucking guy sitting right there with his dad and it was mad awkward his dad was looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm like, your son fucking came at me with a gun. And lucky we, we didn't blow his fucking head off. Yeah. Then we got my boy Evil from Mount Up Records as well. He can introduce himself as well. Yeah, Big Evil, Mount Up Records. You know, we fresh out in many ways. I mean, just trying to put on for the city right here with the team. Well, thank you for having me. You're fresh out? Yeah, in many ways. Really? We yeah. both are out, fresh out. Really? The, that, that's the, the origin, the real... The, you got a fresh cut. Yeah, he does. <laughs> throw that out there, too. Appreciate that. Okay. Many ways. That's just why I figure at least one of the ways would be. Yeah. So how do you know these guys, and what, what do you feel like they are? Uh... I mean, I've uh, I've known them for, I've known D-Way for a long time as well. Recently introduced to Evil and the Mount Up Records dudes as well. But they're kind of representative of the people that here in Los Angeles that can really do a lot of things for the youth in a positive manner and in a way that's uh, kind of accepted by the leadership structure here in like, California. <clears throat> Tell me more. I mean, their experiences in life in general, I mean, kind of plays into those situations. I think both of them have spent time in federal prisons or state prisons as well. You know what I mean? So there's a different level of understanding of how things work here in California that comes from these kind of people as well. You know what I mean? They, but you know, at the end of the day, they're just here for good business and to do things properly. I think we all want to see these young Mexican kids actually get pushed in a very positive light. And they're willing to put up the money to really make sure that that does happen like that at the end of the day. Getting these kids playlisting and the whole nine yards. They've kind of worked with a lot of the youth of Los Angeles in terms of these like record labels. They have a lot of ability to really touch these kids in the sense that they're going to listen to these older heads a lot different than they would just, they say, a label head or someone random like an A&R or some shit like that. Mm. And kind of keeping them out of trouble and keeping them out of situations that they don't need to get themselves involved in. Can they offer the, the ability to really do that at the end of the day? You know what I mean? For sure. So how many, how many years did each of you do? I spent over 23 years of my life incarcerated. Holy fuck. And that's just from the age of 16. So wow. So I you just did 13 definitely years qualified. in Pelican Bay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just got out. God damn. I've done about 10 collectively. I'm younger. I'm, a, I'm about a couple decades younger. Right. But, uh, yep, that's, that's pretty much the upbringing. Well, I guess it's a super general question, but, I mean, all that time, how does that like what is that left with you with in terms of how you speak to young men who you feel like are you know probably at risk at making the kind of choices that you guys made that that left you in that situation well you see the thing is that we've actually gotten the experience of actually being in the streets going through a whole nine yards of uh you know going to jail we both went to youth authority uh we both went to prison we both were maximum security prison so we've been through actually pretty much what comes with uh you know the the streets and pretty much you know the, the fun the fun parts. We've been through the fun parts, so we we for the most part, our whole jump into music is that we understand right now that the 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 most important uh, how can I say the the most effective form of communication is music right now for these youth, and it's it's the most effective form to communicate with uh, you know mass mass amounts of youth where. They kind of understand more so our upbringing and where so we come from, you know, because I don't think that's never really been put out there 
prior to you know i mean i mean ever just because we're we really come from a background where we really don't talk about what we do in the streets we're not about that we're not talking about what's in the streets we're not about dry snitching you yeah. know what i mean we've never really re- we've it, never been into into that well i like, got invented while you guys were away for the most part right 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 i mean it's i mean it, it's been happening <laughs> in, in media it's yeah. it's we, we we realize it as a form of entertainment you know what I mean? It could be presented as such as, you know, we, we, we also have the ability to be directors. We have the ability to be, you know, real writers. And, and, and we could write actual stories. We could tell actual stories with, with, with a certain vividness that another individual has never experienced. Mm. So we, in essence, are the essence of, of the whole story of that's being portrayed right now mm-hmm. in, in the media and has forever been portrayed in, in TV, media roles, whatever the case. We understand that that energy they're trying to portray yes we get it and i think a lot with the south florida kids you saw they were telling a lot of stories but that weren't really w- real and then we have to like deal with any of the backlash from it from talking that kind of shit but i think the youth of los angeles these young mexican kids that are coming out it's a much mm. different territory for them to be walking in and be talking like certain ways you know what i mean so it's just it's best for everyone if you don't think that there's a structure because these kids actually know all the people that are at the heads of a lot of these situations and a lot of people that actually have a lot of pull out there so they, they don't have the liberty to really go out there and just say whatever the fuck they want in large sense you know what i mean like of course they're gonna be able to make the music they want to make at the end of the day but they don't have the liberty of these south florida kids or they're really bullshitting you mm-hmm. know what i mean they talk about real life situations and involve real people that, and people are really affected by the level of communication that they have mm-hmm. so it's important for us to have like a real structure behind it and i don't think the music industry has really had anyone in place that could really like help broadcast that message in a proper way without scaring the shit out of everybody and just making everything just go away to a certain extent. I mean, a lot of East Coast shit, a lot of Midwest shit kind of exists in this little paragraph where there is no backlash, there is no repercussions to any of the actions or the things that they're saying. But these kids out here in LA, it's just a different world out here. Right. So it's important that they are led by people that have their best interests in mind at the end of the day. Right, but okay, so from you guys' perspective as people who just recently got out of doing long bids, how do you deal with the fact that if like we were just having the conversation people want to hear from actual you know young kids who are really in the streets who will really shoot somebody etc like how do, how do you deal with the fact that it's like it's hard to sell people on positivity it's hard but it, and it's really easy to sell people on like violence and destruction of the community basically well, that's what we grew up on. That's, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it's just, it's, we just following what we've seen. We just, I mean, what, what, what results do you, they didn't teach us how to trade, uh, you know, uh, and, and Bitcoin, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They didn't teach us that. That's what these kids, fortunately, nowadays, they're, they're, they need some positive things, but we didn't get that. You know what I mean? So it's a regurgitation of just, all right, this is, this is the true interpretation of what's, you know, and, and we're not here to glorify, you know, particularly anybody uh, it's fictitious businesses you know here you know you know uh, we, we what we seek to do is simply just kind of grab that voice and uh you know help it prosper help it know that they they do have some heroes in their own proper culture that that that, that do exist like we like just them. you know we're 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 uh, i'm not gonna say we're but they're just in the in the in the in the in the in the how can i say um how can I say in the beginning, in the, in the, you know, um, just like any other culture that's came uh, to America, you know what I mean? Uh, that, that, that's pretty much what this is, they you know. They're represented by the immigration wave that happened in the United States, you know what I mean? These kids are, 
young. They're Latinos for the most part. You know what I mean? Like they grow up in these same streets that these guys grew up in as well. You know what I mean? And like, I think we've had like a wave of people that didn't live the life that they were speaking. And mm -hmm. these kids actually really do. So like, there's a different way of working in those worlds. You know what I mean? It definitely is it's much different than let's say, let's say like Pump saying all the crazy shit he was saying. <laughs> you know what I mean? If he was, and you see these kids not really, when's the last time you saw these kids like in Hialeah or in Broward County? You see them like in Miami maybe, or you see them around these areas, but you don't really see them back in their own neighborhoods. These kids coming up live in the same neighborhoods that they're talking about. Right. You know what I mean? So there isn't this isolation from that world. You know what I mean? So they're in the midst of all, everything. Mm. So they have to carry themselves in a much different way than other people would, if that makes any sense. No, definitely. Yeah, it is kind of crazy that you don't hear more. Now that everybody's in Miami all the time and shit, and it's like, seems like that's the big hub, but you don't really hear about people getting robbed that much out there, right? No, bro. It's fucking security everywhere. It's, it's different. You know what I mean, the Florida culture in Miami is like separated from the rest of Florida. Mm. People can only consider you from Florida if you're from Miami to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Definitely. It's different. Yeah, 100%. I remember one time, the one of the first times me and my friends drove down to Miami on a BMX trip, and we stopped at some random Denny's in Florida, and some some old white lady was talking to us about the fact that we were going to Miami. She's like, "I wouldn't go there if you didn't speak Spanish," and I was just like, "Whoa!" Like, I never had somebody say something like that to me. That was crazy. Like, you're it's racist. Different. I mean, they're racist against me being Mexican out there. I mean, the old Cuban dudes hated the fuck out of me out there. Yeah. Living in the penthouse, you know what I mean? And so they were all working there. I guess there was a weird, like, back and forth. I think in, in culture, the whole SoCal Latino Mexican thing is looked at everywhere else in the country. Like, if it's just people that are, like, gangbanging or if it's just people that dress a certain way in life. But I, they come in all shapes and sizes in all reality, bro. Like, they really do. I mean, there's different races that are involved in a lot of every street gang here in Los Angeles. You know what I mean? It's... They're representative of the areas that they're actually in. Mm, definitely. Okay, you take over and ask them the questions that you think would be the most interesting yeah. for the audience. No, Here we go. Boom. Oh. Evil, like, in all reality, like, what would you like to see from these young kids coming up? Honestly, I just feel like a lot of them are glorifying all this gangbang stuff, right? Gangbang is a thing of the past. That's in the 90s. It's not the 90s. You know what I'm saying? It's if... I understand if you want to tell a story, it's entertainment or whatever, but I just feel like most of the rappers nowadays, they're talking about the stuff that we used to do back then, mm -hmm. that we actually lived. I mean, if you don't really live that, why are you going to perpetuate something that's negative yeah. onto our future generation when in reality, like, if we're all our people, like right now, all our, as far as Raza, all the Mexicans, like, we should all be getting along. We sh there should be no reason why you feel like going somewhere to just gangbang on somebody for no reason because you're trying to prove yourself or something like that. Mm -hmm. When it's like, you're, there's cameras everywhere now, you're going to get caught. Yeah. Why? You're going to do it for the gram because you want more followers? It just doesn't make sense. If you're going to talk about stuff like that, I mean, come up with some other, I, it's entertainment, yeah. but come up with some other songs as well to balance that out where you actually talk about how you really feel. And talk about something positive, the struggles you're going through. That's what I want to see from them. So in reality, at the end of the day, you don't really want to see these youth kind of go down the same roads that put you in prison in the same sense. Exactly. Yeah. I spent over three quarters of my life incarcerated. Or at least two thirds. So it's born in the wire, raising the pin. Mm -hmm. I've seen the strongest break. So it's like, I don't want that from them. You ran into some rappers in prison, I assume, <laughs> yeah, as well, over yeah. the years, right? Yeah. Yeah, 
it's like I say, like a lot of these people, they they rap and they're they're not really they're not really about that. So if you're not really about that, what you're rapping about, why don't you talk about what you're really about? I mean, but so what? What's the key thing that has changed from the '90s to today? Because from my perspective, a lot of the kids you're talking about, they basically are talking about what, like shooting at their enemies, selling drugs, doing drugs. It's pretty seems accurate to me that those are things that that's basically what they're spending a lot of their time on yeah that's not really going on as much as it is going it used to go on before in the 90s it was worse then yeah yeah mm. so it's yeah, like, a real war on the streets out here yeah all the time, right? and it's like now it's just people that are bored that are going on doing this stuff like like you really gonna let something pump you up mm. to or like you know what i want more followers or i want more it's like you need attention it's like why need why do you need attention like go do something do something positive help the community out do something that's going to actually help your neighborhood a lot of it is like gangs used to war over like what drug turf and shit like that but now like so much of this shit is really not about they're just warring over nothing over just like social media disrespect and shit yeah right? most most of these kids talking about gang banging and all this stuff on, on, on especially on social media they're not even gang members mm. it's like you're you're a resident dude like why are you why are you talking about i'm gonna go gang bang on this dude and go put in work on their set that's on the set that's on the hood like you get locked up you're not even claiming nothing it's like that don't even that don't even I don't even understand that. So why are you talking about stuff that you don't even understand like the power of lyrics, the power of music, of entertainment in general? Yeah, it's entertainment, but some young kid's gonna listen to this, he's gonna be like, Oh yeah, you know what? I'm gonna go do something stupid. Then you got idiots doing drive bys thinking that that's cool. Drive bys are that's not cool. Mm. If you do a drive by, you who knows who you're gonna hit. But why? Because you got pumped up on some fucking idiot saying something about a drive-by on a song and you think that's cool? People do not understand the power behind their lyrics and their words. So that's, that's why I'm saying to me it's just funny. It's like you're talking all this stuff, all this, it's like they say now, all cap in your rap, mm -hmm. but you don't realize like you, you could have blood on your hands like you said earlier. Have blood on your hands. So I look at it like talk about something that you actually do. If, if you're in love with a girl, talk, talk about that. Mm. Make some music that everyone can relate to. That's real. Yeah. I think a lot of the people that are more willing to speak about that kind of shit and like their lyrics are people that haven't really had dealt with the consequences of that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. It's not funny to talk about when you actually lost a family member, you lost a mother, you lost a sister. I had a friend of mine who lost his mother in a drive-by that wasn't even targeting them in reality. And I think the misconception of everyone is that those things are kind of glorified by the older heads when in reality they are, they are not okay with that shit. They're really not. Yeah, it's weird because it's like there's no shortage of young hothead 18-year-olds and there's no shortage of 40-year-old dudes who can tell them that yeah. it's a bad idea. Well, that generation, and same with drugs. Yeah, the generation's been in prison. Yeah. You know what I mean? They've been incarcerated. They, they haven't had the opportunity to really like have the direct influence on these kids. You know what I mean? And I think as we're seeing a lot of these older heads get out of prison you would think that they people have a misconception on their thought process because their thought process is to maneuver their people out of that shit mm. into different avenues. I think there's an understanding of the power of political influence, the power of mass media marketing. I think there's an understanding of a full-blown propaganda war on the youth of Los Angeles and the youth of the nation, in a sense, to be pushed towards drugs and violence in a long start sense. And we see these artists that get pushed by these labels and backed by these labels, the thematic structure of their songs and everything else kind of rings the same constantly. Mm. It's putting these kids in some situations that they don't really know what, what the consequences are. You know I mean, I think that's been very problematic if we've seen and you see the major labels kind of they play along with it mm. completely you know what i mean and it's 
at a certain point, I, I don't like being a conspiracy theorist or any shit like that because I don't really like playing those games, but it gets more and more obvious that, okay, you guys are either seeing the, the numbers of this and seeing that this sells well, or you guys are kind of perpetrating this consistency of just fucking the youth of this country being influenced by people that don't really understand the realities on the ground. Yeah, I think it's just easy to sell war. Yeah. You know, like that's just something that's that the, forever truth, yeah. will be attractive to people. You know, it's like it's like when we think about like conscious rap throughout our lives, like how much it was really like made an impact on you in comparison to the number of times you heard a song that was some gangster ass shit. And you were like, oh, that's hard. You know, it's just like an easier emotion to have. I think I think the idea of what is gangster is like really mis misthought out in a way, because I mean. As I said, like the older heads don't really like play along with the bullshit they see and hear. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't think there's really a backing from the older heads, like in Los Angeles, in all Southern California, or even the whole country. If you speak to the older people that have actually been to prison and dealt with the consequences of living that kind of life, the same story keeps on coming. It's like live different. You know what I mean? Their advice to the youth is to stay away from that shit. Focus on making money and living your own life. At the end of the day, if it doesn't make dollars, it's not going to make sense for these kids. And I think a lot of them kind of run to these artists that kind of push them in a bad direction just because it's easier to to deal with that than it is to deal with like educating yourself mm. or putting yourself in a good financial position it's easy to, to kind of turn to that like worst element of things because then you could just p pick up a gun and do whatever the fuck you want at the end of the day but to do it with some honor and do it with some class and do it with some thought out respect is a whole different avenue that i don't think these kids have ever really been under before and, I, and i'm very very glad to see the older heads kind of come in and want to have some influence on these words and this world and what the messages that are being put out there. Because if they're going to make money pretty much based on the crazy shit that they did back in the day, you know what I mean? Using those themes in their music, they have to do it with the understanding that, you know what I mean? Like that they have to do something good, for, positive for these kids as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think youth authority and the juvenile system out here in California has really created like a lot of different kids and put them in really weird situations at the end of the day. I mean, like my brother went to juvenile hall, he came out a completely different person. I think there's like, it's almost more hot in the juvenile halls in the YA system than I think it is, let's say, when you're getting processed in the county. You know what I mean? They, they get put into a whole different world like immediately and they come out way different. I've seen it over the years consistently. You know what I mean? Like, mm. there's no real rehabilitation being done. There's no real education being done. They just kind of push them into the, even the worst case scenarios, like constantly. And I don't think there's any, been any, like, be it government wise or education wise, these kids are all going to underfunded, un overcrowded schools. You know what I mean? So, when you got a mixture of a horrible political system and a horrible education system backed by a music industry that's pushing all these themes on these kids, you create this like tinderbox and they act surprised when kids get killed over this kind of shit. But the reality is, is like they perpetrate it and they keep it going. And I think my, that's kind of always been my back, my issue with the music industry is that. I mean, some of the meetings that I've had with, with some major labels, that when it comes to certain kids, I'm like, well, we know this kid needs to get off fucking drugs and everything else if he's going to really succeed in this going forward. And it's always just like a laugh off and push to the side. You never see them put these kids into any type of rehabilitation programs. There's no mental health thought process to any of it. You know what I mean? Mm. They, don't, they don't help them get therapists. They don't help them get the psychiatric shit whatsoever. They just kind of expect them to keep on going. So there's a mi mixture of not having any good mentors and just perpetrating a bunch of bullshit at the end of the day when the older heads don't even agree with them even talking like that. You know what I mean? Like, And it's their stories that kind of get told in this music and they're not okay with it. Mm. At the end of the day, they want to see positive avenues for the youth and they're not going to change like the thematics of a lot of the music that's being put out. Like I said, a lot of these kids are really living this kind of life and fast forward. But I think there's a 
desire for everyone to slow slow the fuck down a little bit and kind of take really take advantage of the position they have in a positive way and it's easy to say that at the end of the day but you know what if they show it and they actually try you know what i mean i think there will be a really good influence here in los angeles these kids listen to these kids bro and they really really grab on to like any big popping artist i mean if we look at everyone from like money side sway to pace like i just seen the way the crowd reacts to them and it's all young mexican kids you know what i mean so we have an opportunity here that they have these like figurehead kids coming in that could really push the right messaging you know what i mean like and I think it's very important that they have the backing of the older heads and people that have actually dealt with the consequences of a lot of these situations to really steer them in the right directions. Right. I mean, and I, I have a lot of experience in, in the industry and you know, shit like that. And the way I, any way I could provide that to help them navigate those roads, I will. How'd you get tapped in with Peso? With these kids, with Swifty. Swifty Blue is the first one I actually met. And he's kind of he's kind of played a mentor role for all these kids as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peso here? Peso. Yeah, get him to pull up. Yeah, we got Peso here, though. Introduce us. Peso, Adam22. What's going on? How you doing, G? You want to give us a little background on where you come from, Peso? Uh, shit, I'm from Parkside, Maywood, Huntington Park. You know, we're right there. Nobody really knows, like, oh, Maywood, where's that? So South Central, we like five, ten minutes from right there. Yeah. Okay, so how'd you meet Trap from your perspective? Um, I met him through, it was at a meet and greet. Was fifty? Yeah, we threw in Maywood, and shit. Uh, he pulled up with a couple of the homies, D boy and shit. So I already knew I've talked to his good peoples. Okay, how'd you start rapping? Uh, I know you already heard about my boy Swade. Yeah. Yeah, he got me into rapping. Like Swade I was, blowing up. He was, yeah. he was your boy before music. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So I was on bullshit, in and out of jail and shit. So he was like, he was getting ready to do a year in the county. And he was like, man, I want to come home and you this time fucked up for real or you dead. And he knew, like, I was rapping, but I wasn't, like, taking it serious. So he was, like, coming to the studio and shit. And then after I did my first song, like, like my first song, like, that I fucked with, it was just a rap from right there. So if it wasn't, like, for him, like, hey, pull up. Like, if he didn't just give a fuck, like, man, like, he just wanted to homie, you know? Right. I would have probably been... Dead or in jail right now. Wait, so you were in the streets that heavy before this? Yeah, for sure. It was it was getting crazy. Yeah. These kids really live the life that they rap about. You know what I mean? That's kind of something that I've looked at and wanted to come in and kind of have some influence over these youth because I think that they have a great opportunity here. And they're getting and they're blowing the fuck up. I mean, mm. they really are. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. They're selling out concerts quick as hell, and people are screaming the words along with them. Uh, yeah. I mean, shit. I don't think they really saw that coming. That quickly, bro. I mean, I, how many songs do you actually have, like, for, really released right now? Like, probably, like, five or so? Yeah. Yeah, like, five or so. You know what I mean? Okay, but so we're having this whole conversation about, you know, young kids coming up and, and getting wrapped up in all this crazy shit. From your perspective, how do you think, like, it, it actually makes sense to try to, like, keep kids out of trouble or keep them out, away from doing 10, 20 years in prison like some of the guys we were just speaking to? Like, from a younger perspective? Yeah, like, from your perspective, uh, like... So you can't really, like... You really can't. Like, like me, if I'm hearing somebody tell me, hey, don't do this, don't do that, but I'm broke and I need it, I'm going to do what I got to do to do it, to, to get what I want, you feel mm-hmm. me? So, like, and then, shit... Like saying, all right, stay out of gang violence or stay out of violence. If, and I, this is just me speaking for me. I can't speak for everybody else. But if my brother were to get knocked down, I'm going to do what I got to do. 
feel me? So you can't really you can't really do too much to stop somebody. It's just whether they take that advice or not. Provide better opportunities and better situations. They don't have to make those kind of decisions yeah, as well. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, if if they're not if if they're in the if they're in the environment, then ten ten nine times out of ten, that's what they gonna you know. But if they not in the environment, they good. They got paper. They you know whatever. They they not gonna do it unless they just one of those weird kids that just have a mom, a dad, everything, and still try to live that life. Then good luck. He gonna either snitch or do some weird shit. You seen a lot of that? Uh, well, me personally, nah. There's not too many like kids with money where I'm where I'm from. So nah. But I've seen it before. Like I've heard about it and mm. shit. But where I'm not. It's usually kids that don't really come from the kind of background, come from very stable homes and kind of choose to jump into the gang life or some shit like that. And they're the ones that kind of make those like really shitty decisions. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like those are the ones that end up snitching, the ones that end up doing really stupid shit and getting people hurt for no reason. But the kids that actually lived in these environments and have dealt with the consequences of those situations, like they're very, they're much more smart about how they navigate these things. Right. You know what I mean? So, of course, we're never going to tell these kids not to live the life that they're living or do what the things that they're doing. But if we could provide better resources and better avenues for them to really take care of situations that, that would normally lead to situations like that, put them back in prison or whatever the case may be. Right. I mean, it just needs to be done. Definitely. You want to introduce us to uh, your other friend here? Go ahead, brother. It's Fat First. Run two studios out here in the Valley. You know, uh, same thing. Get the use, the little homies, the opportunity to record um, for the low, sometimes for free. Just, you know, I'd rather see them in there recording that in the casket or anywhere else, uh, you know, in the street, just, just keeps them out of trouble, you know? For I did sure. 13 years myself, so oh, I, know, I know how that goes. God damn. Yeah, I think these guys see themselves in a lot of these little kids, bro. Like, not say little kids, but just they see the youth and they see themselves and it's a mirror to the realities of them. And they don't really want them to fall into the same traps that they fell into in reality. I mean, streets of Los Angeles are a crazy thing. I mean, people of your own color, people of your own race, people of your own neighborhoods get yourself, get put you in bad situations. You know what I mean? But I think there's a solid understanding amongst everyone that we need to provide better representation for these kids give them better role models and really get them in different situations than they were before right yeah i mean i'm gonna do be here and do whatever i can do for all these kids at the end of the day that's good for sure you feel like you're like trying to correct for some of the stuff that you kind of feel bad about now in yeah, terms of I, be uh, honest with you, yeah sending little pump it, to it, do hits for you <laughs> and all that shit it, it plays into a lot of shit bro to be honest with you at the end of the day like i watch a lot of kids die in these streets I mean, I've lost a lot of fa I've seen a lot of families broken up. I've seen people lose their fathers, brothers to the prison system. You know what I mean? And if there's anything that we could do that could positively impact on these kids and provide other resources, you I mean, that's what we're here to do at the end of the day. Mm. And I think there's a collective understanding amongst all, let's say, hoods, whatever the case may be, in California, in Los Angeles, that, yeah, we've got to do something for everybody together. There's no real point in warring amongst each other and shit like that. You know what I mean, everyone's kind of over all that 90s shit. You know what I mean? And now they want to build big business. They want to build these kids into huge acts. Mm. You know what I mean? And they really want a part of everything. You know what I mean? Definitely. Hey, so you making money out here? <laughs> How's it going? How are we monetizing right now? Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing all right. Yeah, not, yeah. We got to get you fucking Twitch streaming and shit yeah. like that too, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. Shit like that. <laughs> Yeah, you were, you were signed up. You signed to Gazi right now, correct? With yeah. Empire. Oh, so you did the Empire deal. Yeah. Who set nice. that up? TK. Nah, that, that was me. That was you. Yeah. You're a resourceful kid, dude. Damn, look at that. That's yeah. what's up. 
Yeah, what else are you uh, into aside from music and, and trapping? Uh, no, actually, I ain't never, I ain't never trapped in my life. I'm just kidding. Me, yeah. <laughs> There's honesty to these kids. It's refreshing, bro. To be honest with you, they don't really say shit they don't do. Trapping is just a metaphor for you know getting it one way or another, yeah, right? Another, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, I wasn't good at that shit. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you first went to went to jail or caught a case? Thirteen. Thirteen years old. Yeah. What was you the have, case for? <laughs> did you have like family like that were involved in shit as well? Like, shit. I mean. I can't really say too much, gotcha. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean. He was raised well. Smart kid. Don't speak. Even when your elders are they're asking very, you on a podcast. Very, they are very, very smart, bro. That's, <laughs> and that's, to be honest with you, that's what I like about these kids at the end of the day is that they are smart. Right. Where I saw the other kids kind of, like, from South Florida, kind of take the lead of whoever was fucking talking the craziest. Mm. These kids have, like, a reservation to themselves. Like, they step, take a little step back with that kind of shit, bro. And it's, I'm very happy to see it, to say the least. Yeah. I mean, he structured it on, got, got himself a deal by himself. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's pretty fucking crazy in and of itself. Uh, you know what? Someone that helped me out was uh, Davo. Oh, Mozzie's manager? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he, he um, what's it called? Like, my flow and my style, like, it reminded him a lot about over there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So he kind of like, he had commented under one of my, one of my uh, posts. But I never, I never knew. What uh, was the first thing that you had that really went viral? Six block. Six block already put you on. Yeah. I, I I recorded it in August, and I was on a run, so I never dropped it. And then I dropped it December, and when I dropped it in December, we got raided in January. So I was down for six months. You got raided because of the music or unrelated? Uh. Like sometimes music videos like, and shit. It, it was like a we got that was already looking for us. So I guess like me being a rapper, they kind of knew where I'm gonna be now more often. Yeah. So they hit the studio, boom, picked me up for some stupid shit, got out, and then picked me up again because of rap. So, the social yeah. media shit get people fucked up real quick, bro. Fuck. They picked me up again because of rap. And then I ended up doing like six months of house service. I got out for like a week and went straight back in. Oh man. So I really haven't got to do shit, other than I haven't got to do no shows, no, well I have, but like as a guest, cause you know, I got out, I got out on house search again and then they tried to hit me with some other shit, so I cut it off. Mm. I mean. That's what's up. Yeah, Wait, you cut the fucking ankle monitor off? Yeah, oh man, what's I said up. what's up, and then I was like, wait a minute, I probably shouldn't be endorsing that behavior. <laughs> now, because we already had a suede interview uh, scheduled, mm-hmm. so we're supposed to be doing that at some point. You feel like there's a whole new wave going on in in LA right now? Shit, for sure. Yeah, it's it's, it's the Mexicans' turn. Mm. For sure, it's our turn. It's really that like. California, Southern California, Mexican is, is a much different beast than to say something some of the other ones have been pushed. I mean, Kid Cudi's half Mexican. You know, one ever speaks of him being, I know he, yeah, he's not, he's not representative of Mexican culture here at all. So people don't even realize that. You know what I mean? Like, mm. and it's been crazy to see these kids. Like, really, I don't know. I'm very good at reading shit quickly when I see like certain metrics start popping up, and I look at the metrics of him from him from the YouTube videos to the plays. I'm like, okay, this is about to pop. It's about to go to a whole other level. And it really is. I mean, all these kids. I think Suede's been a kind of a positive influence on some of these kids as well at at a young age. Yeah. I mean, we just see him speaking about it right there. You know what I mean? Like, and it's good to have some type of figurehead involved that really, really knows what's going on and understands it. I mean, the crowd really, 
these kids really listen to each other mm. more than sometimes they even listen to their older heads. You know what I mean? Like, because these ki the kids they live in the same lives. You know what I mean? And it's easy. It's much easier to understand and listen to advice from someone that you know is living your day to day, mm. as opposed to someone outside of that like realm. Yeah. What do you listen to, and what do you come up listening to, like when you were younger? Uh, when I was younger, it was nothing but like pot, my uh, my deep shit like that. Wow, that's fucking good to hear. You don't hear that from a lot of younger guys you these days. That's, yeah, that's so good. that was me. Like my, you know, Dre, whole NWA, all of them. That's it was what's just up. shit like that. So Who that, got you into Mob Deep? My uncle. Yeah, it's so East Coast that I'm surprised to hear you say that. I feel like younger generation out here wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards Mob Deep, even though they yeah. are some of the hardest. Yeah, bro, they really are. Some of the hardest albums of all time. Mm-hmm. I think the Wu Tang Mob Deep has, a, little, about say, has yep. a big influence on, on Mexicans and something like people even really think about. You know really? I mean? Remember That's when like, Wu Wear got really big out here at one point? You know was I mean? it? Yeah, it was mostly okay. like Asians and everything else wearing it at that point. But I think East Coast hip hop, especially the reality of that generation of music like Mob Deep, Wu Tang, and the, and the like, they really were speaking about shit they were actually doing and living around them. <laughs> you know what I mean? As opposed to people that are just kind of telling stories. Right. I think these kids that are real kind of picked up real quick who was like saying real shit as well. Mm, I feel it. Um, anything left that we should talk about? Anything you'd like to say, Peso? Fuck the haters. <laughs> <laughs> you got a little one locked up, right? I'm going to let it let them know you you there still. You know, it's... Yeah. It's easy to forget. I think about a lot of these, Greedo. yeah, a lot of these kids yeah, like represent Greedo. like a lot of their dead homies. You know what I mean? Like I, it's crazy to me, but everybody in this room right now has like a bunch of people that are dead right now from the same shit that they're talking about in their raps, and they want to get big and blow the fuck up because their homies didn't get the chance. Mm. You know what I mean? So a lot of these kids are representative of a whole group of people. I mean, when you have dead homies behind you, it's different. You know what I mean? You have a different weight on your shoulder. It's across the bear. It's much different than just fucking saying some stupid shit and you never really lived it. This kid's actually already been to jail, already fucking seen shit go bad. You know what I mean? So I want to see these kind of kids get big position out here because they're actually, if the culture is going to push in that direction and the, the media is going to push in that direction, then I'd rather see these kids bubble up and really blow, blow up as opposed to someone who's bullshitting. I think everyone's kind of tired of seeing these fake fucking gangsters and the fake street people that talking all this shit that they never really actually lived. Call them out. Name names. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Call them out. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's pretty obvious at the end of the day that, you know, I, I definitely put a lot of kids in position that maybe I shouldn't have. Really? You know what I mean? Like, maybe I shouldn't have given them connections to labels, connections to radio people. You know what I mean? Maybe I shouldn't have given them all that. You know what I mean? They didn't relive really the life that I live or understand the things that I did. You know what I mean? And the second they got kind of access to those resources, that's like the last time you hear from them, in mm. a certain case. You know what I mean? But... At the end of the day, I think there's a collective understanding of everybody that we want to see these kids blow the fuck up, and then we're going to do everything we can to help them get there in a positive way, as best we can. I mean, the thematics of the music isn't going to... We can't really define how they're going to rap at the end of the fucking day. Right. But how they carry themselves, you know what I mean? How they're really operating and how they're organized, I think there's a lot to be done in the background that could really give them position to really... He should be on LA Radio. Mm. I mean, Suede should be on LA Radio. And I think the reality is if these if the demographics of their listeners is going to stay to the people that are actually here, it needs to start representing the kids that are actually living in these situations, that are listening to these radio stations and the like. I mean, there's a lot of marketing done to the youth in high schools and the like. You know what I mean? Mm. I just want to see the kids that are really living this life really get an opportunity to profit from this wave if this is it's going to be what it is at the end of the day. But, yeah. 
happens to everybody. Maybe when? there could be like a Slim Jesus of the Mexican LA world where you get like a white kid to come in YouTube. and kind of do that exact style. Well, you're seeing all kinds of like different, there's going to be all different types of fucking Mike. like. Just talk right in the mic. There's going to be all different types of people that come out. I mean, it's not going to just be these kids at the end of the day. If we look at shit like Wu-Tang, you had everything from like you had an ODB, you had a fucking Method Man, you had a Jizza. There's people doing different things. And I think we're going to see a whole different wave of kids come out as well. As these guys bubble up, people are seeing that people like them looking like them living lives they live blowing up they're like well fuck maybe i should start rapping too mm. and i think we're gonna see a whole even larger wave come out of this you know what i mean like at the end of the day a lot of, a lot of these kids learn how to rap and everything else like, well they're in ya or they're in a fucking prison yeah. cell and they got nothing better to do but sit there and write in the fucking paper all day long a lot of these kids already have the songs written before they even get out of jail there's no beat there's nothing but they got that shit written let me tell you i've seen those situations pop up <laughs> yeah, they're just doing fucking beats like that, bro. Like, and you're seeing them rap inside like that. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? It almost brings them back to an early level of hip hop to a certain extent, where there was beatboxing and the shit like that. We're seeing almost a reemergence of the early days of hip hop in New York, here in the streets of Los Angeles. And I love to see it. And I, mean, I want to see it go even bigger. You know what I mean? It is what it is. Get locked up. Write some verses, blow up. Yeah. <laughs> and then call Trap. Just like that. Yeah. Call, call my man Trap. Yeah, see if you need any packs or anything. Let me know. Yeah. Let me know. We're doing shipments. <laughs> um, <laughs> Trapzilla, No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on yeah. YouTube, SoundCloud, Patreon, all that shit. Westways, West Mount up. Everybody who pulls up. Empire. First guy, everybody in here, bro. I'm going to pull up to a show soon. Hell yeah. Let's go. For sure. That's going to be a good we vlog. We're going on tour. Let's go. You got to pull up. Let's go. I'm out there. I'll